Well, good morning. Am I on? Are we good, Jason? Okay. Uh, not I, once I get going, I'll be good. But I'm not sure where to start here. I want to. I don't know if everybody here knows. Um, and I'll, I'll be good. I promise. Um, last Sunday, I lost my dad, and. Um, I was doing real good till I got here, <laughs> and everybody was so nice to me, so I'll, I'll be all right, trust me. Um, but I, I want to thank uh, everyone who sent cards and um, text messages and uh, phone calls, and um, I thank Connie. Uh, she is a hospice person and helped us when my dad first got bad. and. Um, April Mattingly just shows up in my dad's hospital room one day and not supposed to be there, I don't think, but she didn't care and helped me and my dad through the day. Um, I, 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 my family's Roman Catholic and my dad's funeral was at St. John's Church downtown. There's construction, there's a parking lot as big as this room maybe. And so I sent out a text message there, but I thought might show up and said, don't, don't come down here. It, you know, it, they had a calling for 45 minutes or something like that, and Stephen Smith and Cody Smith disobeyed orders, and, and there they were, and, and I, I was thankful for that. But I was just as thankful that everybody else um, at least respected my wishes. So um, it's been tough, obviously, uh, but I just wanted to thank everybody, and um, so I thought I should address that. Um, cards, flowers all the things that came. So that's my thank you card. Sincerely, me. So we are in the Bible and we have been as a church working through 1 Corinthians and today we have come to chapter eight. And the subject matter of chapter eight, technically we'll say, is food that has been sacrificed to idols and how does the church deal with that? For us, I don't remember the last time I you know, ate a hamburger that had been sacrificed to an idol, but you know, I don't know what your world is like. So um, I know from time to time, Pastor Toby and Susan will have people over to their house and he'll serve up his famous chicken tenders. And I don't know if you ever looked at the receipt where he bought the chicken, but you might check that next time because who knows, right? Um, but we will start in chapter eight. We will go all the way through chapter eight. Then because of the subject matter, Paul picks this up, the Apostle Paul picks this up again in chapter 10. So we'll go, all th we'll go through all um, 13, chapter, 13 verses of chapter 8, and then we'll switch over to verse 23 of chapter 10. If you're using a pew Bible today, that passage is on page 956, so you might want to turn there. Um, the, as I said, the theme of, of the passage, you got to get this, the theme of the passage is food offered to idols, but that's really just, it sets the stage. It really, this is about loving your neighbor as yourself, and this is about doing everything to the glory of God. Absolutely, positively, this is what this is about. We'll talk about something called Christian liberty, and I don't think you'll fall asleep. Um, it's an interesting passage or interesting topic to cover. The, big, the other overarching principle, there's like the three of them, is unity in the body of Christ. If you've ever studied the last few chapters of the Gospel of John, they're in the upper room. And um, Jesus is praying for his apostles. He's praying for us. 
And he prays, he says, Father, you know, I want the unity that you and I have to be the unity that the church has. Oh my goodness, God wants that so much. And so when we talk about Christian liberty, that's loud and clear. So please have that in mind as we read this. I'm going to go ahead and read through chapter 8 and then through the verses from chapter 10. We'll actually stop in verse 1 of chapter 11. I would ask you to do this as as we read through. There's There's three words that you should pay attention to. The first word is knowledge. The second word is conscience. The third word is weak. Just pay attention to the fact that you will see those words as we read through. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul's writing to the Corinthians and they've asked him about this issue. And he says, okay, now, concerning food offered to idols. And he basically says, yeah, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Then he says, this knowledge, in quotations, this knowledge puffs up. But folks, love builds up. If anyone imagines, and that's a big word there, if anyone imagines that he knows something he doesn't know yet as he ought to know, But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there's no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many quote-unquote gods and so-called lords, yet for us there's one God the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we don't eat it, and we're no better if we do. But take care that this right of yours doesn't somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone, and this refers to the weaker person, if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? So what's happened? Well, your knowledge, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died... Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Move to chapter 10, verse 23. You've heard this before. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're going to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But... If someone, and this would be a Christian brother who is weaker, if someone says to you, hey, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I don't mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty in Christ be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, 
Whether you eat or drink, and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be an imitator of me, is what he says. Let's pray before we start. Father, this is a lot of, of things that we don't deal with, but the principles underneath, underlying are something we deal with in this United States of America in this day and age, every single minute of every day. All of our senses are assaulted every single day with sinful things. There are also things that you didn't tell us right or wrong, and we have to make determinations. We need your Holy Spirit every second of every day in this culture. In the midst of all that, we are supposed to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It's about our brothers and sisters, and it's about glorifying you. So help us as we read this to remember that. God, drill this into our hearts and our minds for your glory. That's my prayer, and I offer it in Jesus' name. Okay. All right, you will see on your screen here as we get going. I'm going to make three points before we ever get to the text. I call this my preamble. Um, it's the longest preamble in the history of preambles, but we'll, we will eventually get to the text. Um, the points are important. In fact, they're extremely important, and you'll see that as it comes up on the screen. Honestly, it's a little joke to myself. But anyway, so we've got this text here before us, and you, you read it with me. You can see what's going on. So let me ask you this. Think about this. Imagine you're from another country and you're an idol worshiper. You're from a pagan culture where they worship idols and you're going to visit America. But the leaders of your religion say, hey, when you're there, you can't have anything to do with, with anything that's Christian, period. You cannot have anything. Don't go near it. Nothing. And they tell you that America is steeped in Christianity, that when you get over to America, they're always talking about their one God. This crazy notion of one God. And you're not going to be able to escape it. You will not escape this whole thing. There are churches everywhere you turn. Um, you can see people praying in restaurants. Uh, they have Christian holidays. On their money, it says, in God we trust. I mean, they, when they sneeze, they say, God bless you. You're not going to get away from it, is what your leaders tell you. So if you're from that other country, that would be pretty difficult. You know, we, you and I don't think of it that way, but... Culturally, it's still here. Here's something to think of even closer to home. I work for a company that does a lot of work in the great city of Beech Grove. And recently, we were invited to a government-sponsored luncheon. And I have a coworker who is an atheist. And the mayor of Beech Grove had someone go up and pray before this meal. So here she is, she's in, and I, I like her, by the way. I, I should have said, so far she's an atheist. So um, anyway, she's on my target list. But, but here she is basically being forced to sit and listen, sit through a prayer to a God she doesn't believe in. Now, yeah, she could get up and leave or, or whatever, but a reasonable person isn't going to do that. And if you're in the culture, you know, you kind of have to sit there. In so many ways, what she... She's that person from that other country, all right? So whereas America is still steeped in what you and I would probably call cultural Christianity, Corinth was steeped in idol worship. It, it was pervasive. You could not escape it. If you're going to go to a government-sponsored luncheon or whatever, 
they're probably going to have something that was sacrificed to an idol. And real quickly, I'll also say um, they were polytheistic. They were also polydemonic. They felt like demons just invaded everything. And so in their minds, if you, if you sacrificed food to, an, to a, an, an idol, to your God, that got rid of the, the bad stuff. And so you wanted to eat that meat. It was prized meat in their minds. So that's another aspect to remember this. So the issue in Corinth, though, was you had people in the church who had come out of idol worship, out of idolatry, and they knew the darkness of it. And it's, it's demonic. Scripture says it's demonic. Um, my, I have an aunt visiting here today from, from Colorado, and she, she's a nurse. And at one time in her career, she worked on an Indian reservation in, I think, Arizona or New Mexico, something like that, one of those places. And, and the story she told of this demonic activity, I will always remember her saying they brought in this 14-year-old girl who had this horrible stomach pain, abdominal pain, and her mom was begging the nurses, please hold her down, I can't stand it when she levitates. Hold her down with everything you can. She talked about the demonic activity that was everywhere. She said this 14-year-old girl, something, her eyes rolled back and something came out of her mouth, this, this sound that was not from a 14-year-old girl. It is real. There are demons everywhere and offering things to idols is offering it to a demon. So it was bad stuff. Um, we have two women in our congregation who basically came out of that, who came out of what was essentially witchcraft. And they don't like to talk about it. And it's disturbing the stories they tell. So it's real. And, and they don't want to be a part of that. I was injured badly years ago, real bad. And the injury was bad. But the thing that bothered me the most was the flashbacks. They, they were terrible. And I had a friend named Rich Utterback who was pastoring a small church in northern Indiana. And they tried to light an old furnace and it exploded. And he had second degree burns on his face. And I went to see him. And the thing that hurt me the most was and he said, he said, the pain is here, but I hate the flashbacks. And that it's just, it's nightmarish. And so these people coming out of idolatry and, and who were saved by Jesus Christ, that was kind of their world. They want nothing to do with it. Get that away from me. So what was going on and the problem, the heart of the matter, it, and it still is the heart of the matter today, the pagan religions sacrificed animals to their idols, to their gods. Usually the guy who led that what he, he got to keep the meat from the animal. Remember, there was no refrigeration at all or anything like that back then. So the animal was gone within 24 hours. If anything could be, if you could eat it or profit from it, that's, that's how you survived. So when that meat came up for sale, you, that's what you ate. You know, it wasn't going to mire and down the meat aisle. It was like, buy this now. So you had Christians who were, we'll say, the Bible refers to them as stronger Christians who knew that, hey, an idol is nothing, okay? So not, this is just a piece of meat. That's all it is. But other people are like, no, I know where that came from. And it was really bothering them. And that, that was the big thing. So here's the thing. And this is extremely important point number one. At the end of the day, those people who couldn't buy that meat, who were upset by that, the reason they couldn't do it was because their conscience wouldn't allow it. It was their conscience that said no. And that is a huge key point for what we're looking at today. As Christians, there are certain things that we encounter in our society that God has not declared to be sinful. But neither has he called it good. 
And when it comes to those things, we have the freedom in Christ to exercise our own judgment as to whether for us those things, whatever they might be, are right or wrong. We're not talking about things that are called sin in the Bible. Let's be clear about that. We're talking again about things that the Bible does not call right and does not call wrong. For some Christians, though, there's no gray areas. If it even feels like it might be sinful, their first inclination is that it must be sinful, even though God doesn't call it sinful. That's their first inclination. For them, everything is black or everything is white. For other Christians, though, they look at the exact same issue, whatever that might be, and they say from the bottom of their heart, I don't understand, what's the big deal? God says this isn't sinful, why are you upset about it? I mean, I don't, I don't get it, you know? What's the problem? That's, their, that's where they are. So you have two camps, essentially. Those issues... Are, are, are called gray issues, but the overall topic is Christian liberty. I'm going to go through as quickly as I can a list of things that, that you've heard before or you've encountered. For the Christian, drinking alcohol. God said getting drunk is a sin, and he made no bones about it. Drunkenness is a sin, but he doesn't say you can't drink alcohol. Is wine okay? At dinner, whatever. Is beer okay? In, in some countries, they drink beer all the time. I had a, a guy I worked with who was in Vietnam at an air base. And he said, they gave us beer incessantly because you weren't going to drink the water. And he said, at 110 degrees, no one's getting drunk. You drank your beer to stay hydrated. Is that okay? What about whiskey? Can you step foot in a bar? Smoking. Is it okay to smoke cigarettes? Can you smoke a big old celebratory cigar? What are you going to do if they legalize marijuana? People have different opinions about these things. Dancing. Our school recently held a dance. That would still be unheard of in some places. I have, personally, irrefutable video evidence of Pastor Chadwick McFaddenwick You notice he's not in the room. <laughs> he did it at a pagan wedding ceremony where he brought his wife. And not only that, he brought his kids into this pagan wedding ceremony. You know why? Because they're trying to win him to Christ. Nonetheless, <laughs> it's not pretty, I'll tell you that much. All right, playing cards. Can you play euchre? Because if you can't, I'm a dead man. What about fish? Can you play fish? Are cards that evil that you can't play fish? What about playing poker with just chips? Can you do that? What about playing poker with penny ante? Pennies, nickels, and dimes. Can you do that? Do you think that's sinful? Can you be a Patriots fan? Can you be a Tom Brady fan? <laughs> Can you own a Tom Brady jersey? Buccaneers, no. Visiting, no, still. Okay, you're legalists, I can see, so. Gambling. Can you buy a lottery ticket as a stocking stuffer or something? Can you put 
a, a dollar in the final four pool, which is basically the donut fund. That's when, when I was a young guy, we had pools all the time. You're basically buying your donut. You could win the 10 bucks or whatever, but is that sinful? Would you do that? Can you buy a lottery ticket? Like I said, yeah, maybe you said, yeah, I can buy a lottery ticket. Can you buy a lottery ticket every week? Can you spend 10 bucks a week? Can you spend 50 bucks a week on lottery tickets? Is that sinful? Can you go to the horse track in Shelbyville? Can you go to Vegas? Can you bet on games? What is this, uh, FanDuel or whatever? You can, you can watch TV and bet on a game all day long on your phone. Is that wrong? Let's say you, let's say you spend 100 bucks on a Colts ticket and you go to the game and you spend 40 bucks to pay and you're gonna get a hot dog and a Coke, which is another $70 or whatever they charge. <laughs> you pay $10 for a pro, I don't know, it's not cheap. You pay $10 for a program and you pay $12 for a box of popcorn. All right, so you spent 200 bucks on, on entertainment. What about your buddy who takes $20 and goes plays a slot machine and then goes home? It was he in sin. These are the things people wrestle with. It used to be a stock list for Protestant churches. You don't go to movies. You don't watch TV. Um, there's no alcohol. There's no smoking. Have you ever heard of J. Vernon McGee? He's, he was this guy from Texas back in like the 30s. And he, his wife's church, his, wife, his wife's dad was the pastor. Everybody smoked. Everybody. When he got called to a church in California, it wasn't a Christian thing. It was just taboo because it's California. Or tobacco was bad. Tobacco, no one smokes. What are you doing? But the thing that shocked her was men and women, believe it or not, would go to the same beach. Couldn't believe it. Totally shocked by that. He said it took her forever to get over it. We talk about nowadays the length of a woman's skirt. Women wearing pants was a huge issue at one time. Makeup, and I'm not even going to go there, was an issue. Jewelry, can you wear an earring? How many? What about men wearing earrings? What about fingernail polish? Can ladies do that? Are they allowed to do that? What about men? Because they're starting to wear this black fingernail polish. Ah, oh, I see some head shaking. All right, I'm digging in now, right? Tattoos, can you have a tattoo? Is that okay? What about body piercings? Is it an earring and a body piercing? Well, yeah, you can have an earring. Well, can you put it anywhere you want? See, the smiles are kind of going away now. I'm getting into these things people don't like. Can a Christian play video games or board games? But here's the thing, and I didn't even see this, I didn't think about this till I think last night. Some of the world's greatest theologians weighed in on what was probably the most divisive thing I have ever witnessed in my life from a, a Christian standpoint is like 20 years ago. I mean, I, I saw articles by master theologians weighing in on a, on a topic that was massively divisive. Harry Potter. Uh-huh. Nobody's laughing. What about Harry Potter? And people would go at it. All right. Do you, is that sinful? And people would weigh in. So all these topics are Christian liberties. For some people, they wouldn't go near any of these things. 
But there's another guy that says, you know what? I go get a beer after work and I go home and I don't know what I'm doing wrong. But as far as the first point here, for what the Bible calls the weaker brother, these things violate their conscience. And that's, we got to start there. It violates their conscience. The conscience will not allow it. Extremely important point number two, though, is God has placed something within that person's conscience that tells them not to go there for his reasons. And scripture says for that person to violate their conscience, at least insofar as this is concerned, that is sinful. Romans 14 is a great parallel to what we're studying today. And, and verse 23 says, but for, for whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, okay? Eating food, all right, that's been offered to an idol. Because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So for them that is sinful. What we're going to get into is you got to respect that. So what's Paul talking about as we go forward? We're going to look at that. I should say this first. Extremely important point number three is you don't tempt that. If you're the other side of the story, you don't tempt that person to sin. You do not in any way, shape, or form make them, try to make them violate their conscience. You don't do that. No, no, no. Okay? Now we'll get into our text. And we're going to move rather quickly through this. I, wanted, I have verse 1 and 4 up on the screen, or it will be on the screen. And we're not going to go through every verse today. But verse 1 says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge pubs up. If you look at verse 4, which is highlighted, he says, As to the eating of, idol, of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. You put those things together and you and want to talk about this knowledge. It's this knowledge that they had. That's the knowledge they were talking about. You know, we, we know that an idol is nothing. We already discussed it once before. So you also notice, though, that Paul mentions knowledge twice in verse 1. So here's the deal. Knowledge in general is one thing. But the word this is only attached like in our, we use the English Standard Version. And the word this only appears in our, the version we use. But the point is this. He's talking about this knowledge refers to the fact that idols are nothing. Knowledge in general, though, he addresses. Like, either way, if you've got a head full of knowledge, so what? That, that builds up your ego. Knowledge on its own is dangerous. Because, I, and I've seen some guys through the years get very arrogant about, they learn theology and they hear a, a different opinion about some theological issue and they, they dig their feet in and it's like, well, you're wrong and I'm right. And that's all they care about. That's not what we're supposed to do. And that's not where we're supposed to go. But that was the issue facing these people at that time. Now, what he's essentially saying to the Corinthians and to us, when you camp out somewhere, and you think you're right. He says, you have half the equation. You have the knowledge, but you don't have love for your brothers or sisters. That's the problem. If, if you've got your doctrine all figured out, and the Corinthians largely did. He's saying, you know what? You got your doctrine figured out, but you couldn't care less about the people in your church. Everything Jesus said, everything he did, everything he taught about loving others, you're essentially by your conduct saying, who cares? I'm right and they're wrong. No, 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 no. 
for lack of a better word. When, when Jesus was in Jerusalem, and, and like Toby talked about, this is, you know, today is, is Palm Sunday. Jesus went to Jerusalem, and when he got there, he went after the Pharisees. And one of the things he said to them in Matthew chapter 23 was, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. You're, you're counting out little bitty seeds to make sure you got it right. He goes, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. And he says about the tithing, he goes, yeah, these you ought to have done, but without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. It's pretty much the same principle. It's not the same thing, but the principle is the same. You Corinthians have your doctrine, but you've neglected love. It's very, 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 very good to have a correct understanding of biblical principles. You really need to know because that's how you learn God. But it's more important, it's equally important to show love to your neighbors. Show love, the love of Christ. I, I, I think it's because my dad passed away, but I've had this in my mind as I'm studying this. I don't remember this event, but my mom says when my, we were little, kindergarten age, she said there was a, a terrible ruckus coming from the room I shared with my brother. And she gets in there, and we're going at it, okay? And so she drags us apart, and what's going on? And I don't know who said what, but she said, one of us screamed at the other one and said, he's not showing love! And there were, whoever was upset about it, I don't know who started the fight. or what, Well, I'm an elder. I didn't start the fight. We know I didn't start the fight, but I can tell, I guarantee you who finished the fight. So anyway, um, it's been on my mind all week, so... There for my mom. Um, in the passage, though, from Matthew, Jesus, again, didn't get on them for what they were doing right. He said, you ought to be doing those things. But you neglected what was more important. You neglected the people. Jesus didn't die for tithing. He died for souls. Um, there were sects of the, of the S-E-C-T-S, of the Pharisees. There was, they, there was this group in the Pharisees called the Bleeding Pharisee. And they, and they, were, they were not going to look at a woman improperly. And they were known. They would walk around and, boom, oh, and run into buildings. And, 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 this, and like the, the blood on their forehead was like, look, I'm going to heaven. I'm a good guy. You know? And that was, they thought that was the right thing. That's, that's crazy. Because what about people? Again, Jesus died for the lost. Something we need to keep in mind. We're going to move ahead. Verse 4 again says, therefore, as the eating of food offered idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. We also know that there's no God but one. For although there might be many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and there are many lords, yet for us there is one God, not many, God the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And there is one Lord, not many, it's Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And Paul says, that's the whole thing. And the Corinthians, some of them said, exactly, right. And, then they, and, they, and they basically are saying, so, so we're right, aren't we, Paul? We're right. And Paul says, wrong. <laughs> that is sin. No. Verse 7 says, however, not all do possess this knowledge. But some, because of their former association with idols, they eat this food as though it's really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. And then he comes back around in verse 8 and he states the facts. He says, 
Food won't commend us to God. We're no worse off if we don't eat it, and we're no better if we do. And then he starts to talk about liberty. And this is where we need to read this, and we need to take this to heart, because he says, take care that this right of yours, this liberty of yours, doesn't somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. That's the point of the whole passage. He says, if a weaker brother or sister sees you who understand the bigger picture, eating something in an idol's temple, because again, the mayor of Beech Grove offers a prayer, well, what about... This, this, you've been invited to some ceremony and it happens to be in a temple and he sees you, won't he be encouraged if his conscience is weak to offer food to idols? I guess if you're doing it, I don't know, man, it doesn't feel, it just, just seems wrong. But if you're doing it, I, you know, I guess it's okay. No, it's not. No, it is not. God is the one who laid upon their heart that that's sinful for them. Verse 11 says, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. It doesn't mean they're going to hell. It means you've led them to sin. This is the brother for whom Christ died. We, we don't do that. All right, I'm going to take a little journey here and go back to verse 1 for just a minute. Paul, again, said, yeah, you have this knowledge, but look at verse 2 and 3. Again, I mentioned this earlier. He says, if anyone imagines, and that's a big word, that he knows something... He doesn't know as he ought to know. Most of us have met that guy, right? He knows it all. And God said, again, your doctrine's really good, but you are cold as ice. Verse 3 says, if anyone loves God, he's known by God. And this is a bigger verse than you might think. All this matters. So let me take you on this journey I talked about. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. All right. Most people read that and we think, well, that's a bit disconcerting. What do you mean? Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 22, Jesus addressed this young attorney who decided he would question the big biblical proficiency of the creator of the universe, right? And he said to Jesus, teacher, what's the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, hmm, the great commandment. That's a great question. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great commandment and this is the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That was an, uh, the law and the prophets was the, the, was the Jews' way of saying the Old Testament. It was the only Bible they had. When someone said the law and the prophets, that meant the whole scripture. So Jesus says everything is summed up in these two commandments. And that, again, was the problem in the Corinthian church. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 7 again. Jesus had said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he said, on that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? That's impressive. And didn't we do mighty works in your name? And then he will declare to him, but I never knew you. I never, I never, I never knew you. Yeah, but look at all this. Yeah, I know. I mean, I mean, yeah, I know. In my name. You prophesied in my name. You cast out demons in my name. My name is powerful. You did all this cool stuff. But I left you a commandment. A commandment to love your brothers and sisters. 
If you loved me, I would know you. But I don't. If you loved me, you would obey my commandment and you would love your neighbor as yourself. What does verse three say? But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. To complete the passage in Matthew chapter, or verse 23, I think with tears in his eyes, Jesus said, no, no. Depart from me. I mean, that's tough. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Okay, lawlessness, what, what law? What's he talking about? The book of James answers that question. Chapter two, verse eight says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well, that law. Some of the Christians were not, or sorry, the Corinthians were not doing that. What about you? We're talking about Christian liberty. We're talking about all these things that you could do if you want. But Paul says, if you're gonna stumble somebody by doing that, you don't do it. How do you feel about that? From the bottom of your heart, how do you feel? But I have a right to do this. How do you feel about this weaker brother or sister? Is it really, really, really worth it? For the kingdom of God I mentioned in the beginning, God wants unity in his church. Do you really have to put yourself first? You know, you know where this comes from? That this love your neighbor as yourself? It's not, it's not a New Testament concept. It comes from a Leviticus. And I had it on the screen. I want you to see the majority of what, who's being addressed here. Chapter 8, 19 of Leviticus says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, you're not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings from your harvest. Don't strip your vineyard bare or gather in fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I'm the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not act deceptively or lie to one another. Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not oppress your neighbor or rob him. And the wages due to a hired worker must not remain with you until morning. What the deal was, if you were a day laborer, you got paid at the end of the day, and that's how you fed yourself with that money. And they were hanging on to it during the night. Okay, verse 14, do not curse the deaf. You know what he means here? People are running around yelling at deaf people just to be funny. Don't do that, God says. Don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind because you think it's funny. But you're to fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you won't incur guilt because of him. Don't take revenge or bear a grudge against the members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The second commandment is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 11 again. By your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. You took your liberty and you ran with it. And you had no regard for your brother. Again, I got every right to do this. But what did it do to your brother? Our, our culture is so me-centered we can't fall into that. 
Paul talked at the beginning of this letter about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world of our culture says, you do what you like. It, it's about you. They'll get over it. That's not what God says. I'm going to go to verse 12, guys. I'm moving ahead here. I had some more for you to see. Um, verse 12 says, Sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. And, he, and so Paul finishes the chapter by saying, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Please understand that. If there's even a chance, I won't do it, is what he says. And again, is it really worth it to, to break unity in the body of Christ so that you get what you want? No, it's not. We're going to move to chapter 10 now. I'm just going to work through this rather quickly. Every verse of this matters. Actually, I'm going to start it by reading chapter, verse 13 because it, it works together. At the end of the chapter, verse, chapter 8, Paul said, Therefore, food makes my brother stumble. I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. True, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. One of the neat things that happened to me this week is I found a note I had written to myself in a, in a commentary and um, I liked it. And that, that's a pretty rare <laughs> occasion for me to go, wow, that's pretty good. Because I, I just, that's the way I feel. But I, I wanted to share it with you, not because it's so great. But I, I think it's truth. All right. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God. The second, though, is to love everybody else. Love your neighbor and love your enemy and love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. And how did he do that? And what did he teach? Be humble. Serve, die, be gentle, be kind, be compassionate. The list goes on. So by default, the opposite of those things is don't harm, don't hurt, don't insult, and don't tempt your brothers or your sisters. Verse 25 and 6 say, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, it's okay. All right? But what does that mean there when it says the fullness thereof? You can look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says essentially the same thing. He says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Paul goes on in, in chapter 10. He says, If one of the unbelievers, if somebody you know who is a, an idol worshiper... If he invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, go ahead and eat anything without raising question, with any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone, and I said this earlier, if someone, and that would be a weaker Christian, says to you, hey, but this has been offered in sacrifice, he goes, then you don't eat it. Paul says, then don't eat it for the sake of that person, for the sake of conscience. And he goes, I don't mean your conscience, I mean his. Now you go, well, that will offend the host. Yes, it will. Guess what? He's an unbeliever. Guess what? This person next to you is your brother or your sister. And you, def you defer to them because it's the body of Christ. That's what matters. And then Paul makes this unusual statement. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? For if I partake, uh, excuse me, if I partake, he said, with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? 
The point here is you, you don't want your liberty to be spoken of by, uh, badly by choosing to exercise it. You, you don't do that. You've got the liberty, but you don't have to exercise your liberty. And Paul wraps up by saying, so, this whole issue, he says, let's wrap this up. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you've heard this before, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jew or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I'm an imitator of Christ, an imitator of Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Preserve the unity of the body of Christ. And most of all, folks, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. And that is your limit, limiting principle when you say, I've got the freedom to do this. Ask yourself, does this glorify God? And be harsh on yourself. Man, the stuff we sang here this morning was killing me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And then do you need to exercise your liberties? It's all about praising God. Toby mentioned, Stephen mentioned, not everybody in this room is saved. Most likely. You're going you're gonna to show them an example that, hey, you can do this. And they're not sure. Raise your game. I don't know where my dad is. I just don't know. I know that he went into the hands of a loving, kind, merciful, gracious, wonderful God who was also just. There were things at the end of his life. I said, Dad, you're going to face God. Are your sins forgiven? And he kept saying to me, I've tried to, to give my family everything they needed for, for to have a good life. He's going to work his way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven, folks. You can't be good enough. All you do is trust in what Jesus did on the cross. If you're saved, you need to remember that too because the things you do should glorify God. Do you understand? Is it that important? Let's pray. Father, easy for me to say. But we'll walk out of here and we'll have a million different influences on us to make us do what we want to do. And we forget sometimes it is the body of Christ and that Jesus died for that body. We need your help. As I said in the beginning, saturate our minds and our hearts with your word. Help us to look at the brother or sister next to us and go, okay, how can I help them and put ourselves last? We thank you for Jesus. We want to glorify you, but our flesh wars against our spirit. Help us, God, everyone in this room to live our lives for you. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you all, Toby's going to come up and we'll finish.